Welcome to Greater Alton Church. I'm glad you could be here today. My name is Tim, and it's good to be together. It's great to have a break in the weather. It feels like fall. I kid you not, yesterday I see geese heading south. I'm thinking, already? Could it be? Oh, my. But uh, it's great to be together this morning. Uh, If you've decided to come here this morning, I want you to know you picked a good day to come. We're in a series of lessons on work. You know, tomorrow morning you're all going to be working somewhere. You're going to be clocking in or doing something, hopefully, um, uh, and at the workplace. And so we're in this series uh, looking at Monday morning faith. You know, you, you and I are going to spend 40% of our lives working. I don't know if that's encouraging to hear that this morning or depressing, okay? But 150,000 hours, you and I are going to be uh, our nose to the grindstone doing something, whether it be working for the man or working for the wife. I mean, uh, the other uh, boss. Uh, well, it could be that. You could be working, you could be working uh, you know, here at the church building, working in a field somewhere. Uh, I grew up on a pig farm, so I know that that can be a challenge. Uh, Maybe you're going to be working on your campus. You know, a lot of people don't get this idea school is just, you know, easy. Uh, Maybe as we get older, we forget. There's a lot of work that goes into getting an education. So, you know, you go to school, then you have homework. Maybe you're doing part-time work somewhere at a a fast food restaurant. Wherever you are, there's work to be done. Forty percent of your life, 150,000 hours you're going to be spending doing something. Uh, with the time you have. That's a lot of time and a lot of big percentage part of your life. Wouldn't it be good to know what to do with it? And as Christians, sometimes if we, if we can be guilty of separating our spiritual life from our secular life, like if there is a secular life. As a Christian, there is no such thing. Or our work, our churchy work, and then all of our regular work. Well, there, it's really combined. It's all encompassed into the kingdom of God as a believer. And so that's why we're looking at this idea of taking my faith and living out my faith every Monday morning when I start my work week together. And so we've been looking at things like integrity and what does it mean to work. And Nathan, a couple of weeks ago, talked about working on campus. And we had, had a lot of people uh, help us with the uh, international barbecue. And thank you for doing that. And had a great time. A lot of people from all over the world and, it, you know, I don't know if it heightens the awareness during the Olympics, but there was people from all over the world there at SIUE as we uh, fed them chicken kebabs and, and hamburgers and hot dogs and, and, and vegetables. We had, had someone from uh, a particular country. Um, I said, I hope this, does it taste okay? Does it taste all right? He goes, oh, yes, my husband's American. I'm used to this. I'm like, what does that mean? I walked away, not sure what, what did it mean? Was it a compliment or was it more bad food? I don't know. But it was a great time, and I appreciate everybody helping out with that. I know that uh, if you, that the root beer riot is coming uh, at SIUE, and it's ten times the size of this barbecue. And so uh, we'll be having it at the quad. Uh, and uh, you got a, uh, if you've got a, um, a barbecue cooker, a gas grill, or, or char- if, you wanna, if you're old school, and you want to bring uh, a charcoal grill, we'd love to get as many grills as there because we're going to be feeding a lot of uh, campus students at SIUE, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you'd like to help out, get a hold of Nathan, Nicole, or me, or Michael, or somebody, and uh, we'll get you all squared squared away. 
uh, for, with serving and stuff. We really need a lot more people at this event, folks, because we want our campus students to be able to focus on campus students and not worry about serving food and preparing food, all right? That's this Saturday, this coming Saturday. Oh, at what time does that start, Nathan? 7 o'clock, but we'll be there early, like setting up and stuff, like at 3 or 2 or sometime. Yeah, just show up early, be ready to work. All right, so um, we're looking at we're looking right now at uh, this idea of working, and today I want to talk about standing out at work. Um, you might think that's kind of that sounds kind of vain, doesn't it? No, it's not. Look what Jesus said here up on the screen in Matthew chapter five. Now I've always used this passage to talk about the good works we do for the Lord, and 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 there's nothing wrong with that. It applies to that, but but look at it closely. Look what it says here. Jesus said these words: People don't hide a lamp under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand, then the light shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, you should be a light for other people. And look what it says here. Live so that they will see the good things you do. He's saying live in such a way as it will stand out, the things that you do. And what will happen? Live in such a way they will see the good things you do, the work, and praise your, heaven, your Father in heaven. That what I do at work, this 40% of my life has, has a purpose that's deeper than a paycheck. It actually can change the world. It can change the culture. And we talked about work. What is work initially for a Christian? To leave things better, to leave them better than they were when I arrived. That it's things are better. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about this idea that God wants us to stand out when we do things. Now you may say, well, that just sounds a little bit, you know, prideful, to, but it's not prideful at all. It's, it's, not, it's not a challenge to, be, to stand out for yourself and say, look at me, but stand out and look what God can do. And that's, that's why if it bears his name, it deserves my best. What you do, wherever you are, whether you're on a tractor or whether you're behind a, cu- in a cubicle on a computer, what you're doing, you do for the glory of God. That's what you're here for. God made you to work. He made you to work on this planet, and it brings glory and honor. You, you confirm the image he made you in when you work well, when your work is excellent, when it's good quality work. It's not shabby, and it stands out in the workplace. It's not prideful. No, it's a part of God's purpose. Look at this passage here on your notes and up on the screen. Here's Proverbs now. This is Solomon talking. In the New King James Version, it says it like this. Do you see, would you circle C? Do you see a man who excels in his work? Let me ask you, do you notice people when they're excelling at work? When they do things with excellence? Do they stand out? He says, if you see someone that excels in his work, he's diligent, he's skillful, she works well, she has quality in her work, he or she will stand out, look at her, will stand before kings. He says, you will, if, you, if you're a person that excels, and by the way, another word for excel is to stand out. If you stand out at work, you're skillful, productive, diligent, you're not going to be working for some unknown person very long. You're actually going to increase and climb up this ladder of success. You're going to be promoted. Your, your, your job is going to get, your responsibility is going to broaden. You're going to improve your workplace. 
And see, Joseph, I want to look at today as a guy that, that was an incredible example of a man who excelled, who stood out, who brought his faith to work. And that's why he stood out, because he brought what he believed. He brought his relationship with God into the workplace. And by the way, when, I, when I'm talking about this, bringing my relationship with God and bringing my faith in the workplace, it isn't about I need to invite people at work. That means that. It means standing up and, and saying, look, here's why I'm voting for, you know, whoever. Or this is why I'm against this or why I'm for that. It may include that at times. But, but we see, even when man was created, it was about taking care of something on earth. A work, a task. Jesus spent most of his life as a carpenter than he did as a preacher. Now you say, what, what are you trying to say, Tim? I'm trying to say that... The work you and I bring, the work you and I bring to, uh, to where we are, wherever we're doing, God wants us to bring our best, and He wants to be honored and glorified. And what you're doing is God's work, too, when you're doing things like that. Now, again, Joseph is an example of a guy who brought his faith into the workplace because it expresses, his faith is expressed in six different ways, six different qualities, if you will, that help somebody um, that will help you and I in the workplace to excel. I think there are even six qualities that make you more hireable. I think there are six qualities that help you stay in a position or stay at a job longer than most people do. It has that building effect. Now, before we can talk about these six qualities in the life of Joseph, we've got to do a summary of his life. And if you've ever been around Gary Chapel, he will remind you of the story of Joseph often. In fact, he can finish the story and start again. He loves the story of Joseph. And I picked Joseph, Gary, in this series, so you couldn't use him. Not really, that's not true. <laughs> it's a good story. You talk about a guy who went from rags to riches. You talk about a guy who climbed up the ladder here. You see this in the life of Joseph. You see a guy who excels and grows and is promoted. He goes from being a slave or a 17-year-old snot-nose-nothing, know-nothing, to second in command of a nation. Now, you can't tell me that's not moving up. Would you agree with that? You're, how many, seven, anybody here 17? Raise your hand real high. 16? Oh, God, okay, I got Madison. Wouldn't you like to be... Vice President, would that be all right with you? No? Would you like to be in charge of anything? No? Any 18-year-olds in the crowd? <laughs> would you like to be in charge? And like, you know, like, I'm calling the shots, you know? And Joseph didn't call the shots when he, when he came right out, you know, at 17 in his family. No, he learned and grew into this. And God was there all along the way. God wants to be involved in your workplace. And when he's involved in your workplace, he will bless you. Yeah, you'll have a setback, but you really have nothing to worry about. And Joseph illustrates that. Here's a guy who's 17. First time we hear about him is in chapter, Genesis 37. And then he's, he's the main figure all the way to the end of the book. He, at 17, he's a tattletale. That's what you learn. In chapter 37, he's always telling his brothers, Reuben didn't do what he was supposed to do, Dad. Judah, he lets, he didn't take, he didn't feed the sheep like he's supposed to, dad. He's a tattletale. Boy, that would get you in trouble right there, huh? 
What? Don't do that at work. Don't be that person. Hey, he didn't. He took. He he didn't clock out when he was supposed to, Dad. You know that's gonna work. Not gonna work for you, okay? But here's what he does. That's what he does. And then he has this dream. He has this dream of these bundles of grain all bowing to him, and and he makes the big mistake of telling his brothers, "Hey guys, I had a dream last night, and you guys are like bundles of grain, and you're all bowing to me." Well, that did not work well. That did not go good. You know, and they hated him. They despised him. That's what the Bible says. Oh, I hate you. Now I know I hate you. You know, they couldn't stand him. And then he's at the dinner table with the family. and He goes, I had another dream. And the brother's like, oh, brother, let him, let him talk. He goes, well, this time the moon and the sun and the moon were in this dream and some stars. And they all bowed to me. There was the sun and the moon and 11 stars. And, you could, and Jacob speaks up. Dad says, wait a minute, son, are you trying to tell me we're, we're going to all be bowing and serving you? Yeah. Now, the brothers are boiling. Mom says nothing. She's fine with it. But man, the brothers are boiling. And you know, the Bible says Jacob sat there and thought about that. Dad sat there and went, he mentions 11 stars. Am I going to have another son? He mentions 11 of them. I already have 11, and one of them's getting bowed to. There must be another one coming. There's something, he just wasn't quite ready to get an attitude about it. And so uh, they're out tending sheep, the brothers are, and his dad says, Joseph, who's his favorite, he has this coat that is just gorgeous. It stands out. The brothers can't stand that either. He is favored at the house. You say, do parents have favorites? I'm sorry to tell you, they may have sometimes. And Joseph was one of them in this family. And so, son, I want you to go to Dothan and find, you know, find uh, your brothers that are out tending sheep. So he goes, sure, Dad. So he takes off. And as he's making his way closer, the brothers are conspiring. Let's kill him. Yeah, kill him. Reuben goes, we can't kill him. Let's just put him in a cistern, throw him in a well. That way we don't really kill him. He just dies. How about that? Now, secretly, Reuben's thinking, I'm going to come back and get my brother out of this jam. Well, they end up putting him in the system for a while. Then they see some Midianites come along, and, they, and these guys are slave traders. Somebody goes, let's, let's make some money off of this deal. And so they sell Joseph to the Midianites, who are slave traders. And then all of a sudden, Joseph is now sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar, who happens to be on the staff of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He's captain of the guard. And he works, so he works in that house. And in very long, he starts, Potiphar notices some things about Joseph. He stands out, and so he rewards him more and more and more. And he says, you know what, why don't you just be in charge of everything, and I won't have to worry about this. I can focus on, being, on guarding you know, the king of Egypt. And we know what happens there. Uh, he's, he's blessed or cursed with a great physique and handsome Kind of like me. But you know what I'm saying? He's, he's got, okay, not like me, but he's got that, you know, he's got the physique going and she's attracted to him. He's a man that knows what he's doing and that's attractive to a woman and powerful. And say, hey, Joseph, what you doing tonight? I'm, you know, my husband's out of town. Let's, let's mess around. I can't do that. I'm not going to do Oh, come on. I, 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 sent all, I sent all the work home early. Nobody's here. How about a quickie? And he's like, I won't have anything. I won't do that. And she grabs him. Oh, come on. I know you want it. Come on. And he 
he has another coat on, and it's not so glamorous, and this coat gets him in trouble too. Out he goes, takes off running, and she realizes, oh boy. So she starts yelling rape. He gets framed. Potiphar sends him to prison. I don't know why he didn't kill him. Maybe he didn't believe his wife completely. But, he, but he's in prison now. And the warden likes this new prison prisoner so much, he says, you know, you seem to be know what you're doing. There's something different about you. You stand out. How about you be in charge of everything, of all the prisoners? And so Joseph is now in charge of all the prisoners. He's a rookie, and he's in charge of all the prisoners. And then he meets this cupbearer and a baker that happened to be Pharaoh's inner circle, and they have some dreams. And he goes, I've, I'm familiar with dreams. Hey, uh, do you know anything about dreams? Well, yeah, I know some things about dreams. Well, what do our dreams mean? I, you know what? I, I don't know, but God knows. Let me pray about it. And God reveals the secret of the meaning of those dreams. And, of course, we know the baker, his dream means he's going to die in three days. But the cupbearer is going to go back and be with Pharaoh at his side again. And he says at the close of a chapter, he says, Now, don't forget me. Well, the cupbearer forgets. Two years go by. He's in prison for two years, two more years. And then the Pharaoh, he has a dream, and he's like, oh, what does this dream mean? And nobody can figure it out. And the cupbearer hears it and goes, oh, my goodness, I just remembered I blew it. I just remember there's a guy that can do this, a guy that can interpret his dream. His name is Joseph. Well, go get him. So he gets him, and Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream, knows there's going to be a famine coming. And he says, you know, Pharaoh, you might want to get somebody ready for this famine. It's going to be about seven years from now. You're going to have really a lot of of food. You ought to get somebody behind this and get it figured out. So when those next seven years, when there's nothing to eat, you'll be ready for it. And Pharaoh goes, that's a great idea. Why don't you be in charge? You stand out. You're, You're smart. You're intelligent. Well, it's because of God. My competence is coming from God, nowhere else. Well, I want you to be in charge. Takes his ring off, puts it on his finger and says, okay, guys, you know what that means? They go, they're all going, what did you just do? I just gave him keys to the country. He's in charge of everything. Nothing gets done unless you talk to him. And we know Joseph gets Egypt ready and he saves not only Egypt, but he also saves other nations that are needing food at that time and his own family. He saves his family. Talk about... The journey from the roots, the humble roots of being a 17-year-old know-it-all to now he, hum- he almost possesses it all. That, that, is, that is one promotion, you've got to admit. It's pretty spectacular when you stop and think about it, huh? And that's what's happening here to Joseph. So how did he get there? How did, what, what, what are the traits and the qualities of someone that, that excels at work, that stands out at work? And it's not standing out to make a name for themselves, but... Their work says it all. Their work says this is a blessed man, blessed woman, and you want to have them. What would make you more hireable than anything else and promotable more than anything else? Well, let's look at those six qualities, these six traits that will help you stand out in the workplace. Number one, initiative. It takes initiative. Now, another word for initiative is an idea, to have an idea. Another word, another way to say it is a plan. And another way to say it is when a person has initiative, they're resourceful. 
They're thinking of how they can fulfill that particular plan. Look at the Bible says here, Joseph had a dream. He had a dream. Now you think about that. It, uh, he come from a family of dreamers. A lot of people, his brothers, they were able to interpret his dream for him. He didn't interpret it. His dad was able to interpret his dream, his second dream. So they, they were used to talking about plans and dreams that God would put on, on each other's heart. And that tells me something, that in that time, God spoke through dreams, through a plan, through an idea. And he gave Joseph this idea, this plan, this course. I want to make you someone who's going to be very influential in this world and I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter where you are right now, socially or based on education or where you are, you are supposed to be a mighty influential force on this planet. I want you to know that. I want you to know you already are. You just get to choose which way do you want to influence the world. Oh, I don't influence anybody. Nobody notices me. Well, we're going to try to fix that today. You need to stand out. God needs Christians to stand out. He needs believers to stand out in the workplace, on the campus. People need to see hope in the workplace, hope on the campus, hope in the neighborhood, hope in the city. And God's going to show that through you. Through you. And it starts with, I've got to believe this dream. I've got to believe this, this is God's plan for my life. And Joseph believes there's something going on here. And so he's, here's the interesting thing about this dream, this idea he has. He is willing to take a step of faith to fulfill it. He's willing to go through setbacks. He's even willing to go through setbacks for it to happen. He'll even risk failure. So he, what's he do? He tells his family, big mistake. They all can't stand him. But he doesn't stop there. He knows that's, that's what you do. You have to take that risk. He, he even tells the cupbearer and the baker, he tells them about, he tells them the meaning of their dream and says, don't forget me. He has initiative. He's taking advantage of the situation because he knows God's got something in store. God's trying to use him. So whether it's good or bad, he knows God use me in any way you see fit because your plan's ultimately better than anything I can come up with. Your dream is a whole lot better than what I can dream up. Look what it says here in Proverbs 16:26. The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. There's something deep inside that makes me want to work. What is it? I call it the uri irks. What is that? It's when your stomach, when you're hungry, it goes uri uri The uri irks. He says right there, the uri irks drive them on. Because you got to eat, you got to work, right? You go, man, i got heat, so I'm going to have to work. And there's that reminder deep inside your body, physically saying to you, hey, you making any money because you're getting hungry. You, you, you're going to have any money to buy food? You better get out there and start working it, man. And it's that hunger that drives them on. But there's not just a physical hunger. There can be also a spiritual hunger that says, Lord, Inside me, I have something inside me. It's like a fire in me. I cannot quench it. I cannot satisfy it. There's something you've put in my head. You've put in my heart. And you want me to do it. And I, I just can't seem to shake it. Let's tell you, that's the spiritual Uri 
That's God putting on your heart something I've got to do. I just, I've had people say to me, I just, I just feel like God wants me to do this or God's calling me to do this. Can I tell you, if God is calling you to do it, you better do it. If God is calling you, calling you to, to come out and grow and lead and influence and work, move, stay, whatever, you better do it. You better do it. You don't want to be fighting God when He's trying to use you. But the thing I want you to see is that just because you have hunger, we're going to talk a little more about this now, this idea of, I know people that are hungry, but they're not doing anything with it. What do you mean? Well, look at this passage in Proverbs 12. The lazy man does not catch and roast his prey. What do you say? Well, when he's hungry, he won't do anything. He won't even, he won't even look. He's, he's so lazy, he, he doesn't have initiative. He's hungry, but he won't find, he won't go out and get it. He won't prepare it. And look what else it says. But the precious possession of a wise man is diligence. Look how the Amplified Bible describes this word diligence. Because he recognizes opportunities and seizes them. He knows, I see that door opening and I'm going through it. I don't know what, where it's going to go. I don't know what, how, how it's going to work out. But I'm going through that. There's an opportunity. And that's what you see in the life of Joseph here. You see, people with initiative, listen to me, they're motivated. Something is motivating them to do something. You say, well, sometimes it's the paycheck at work. There's a greater motivation than paycheck. Well, it's maybe being recognized and being appreciated. There's a greater motivation than that, than being recognized. And see, Joseph had a greater motivation. He worked when he didn't get paid. He worked whether he got recognized or not. He had initiative. He's motivated by the plans of God more than anything else. Now, how do you know if it's God's plan? This is the tricky part for a lot of us. How do you know it's God's plan? Let me give you two ways you can know. First of all, what's your motive? What's your motive? Well, God put this on my heart. Are you sure you didn't put it on your heart? God put it. The forensics, the people have been there and they've found your fingerprints on it. Your DNA. What do you mean, Tim? I'm saying, there's, I'm saying my son and I were having this conversation just this week about motive. About motive. What's our motive? Why, are we, why, are we, why do we even have a church here? What's the Why? There's plenty of others to go to. <laughs> there may be a few better. Why? Why do we bother? What, what's the purpose of having, you know, ministries if we have them, or a campus ministry, or, or some of us here say, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to go plant a church." Why? You see, when I became a Christian back in 1977, it was about Jesus and only Jesus. My motive was, I just want to please God. That's why I, listen, I was religiously set in what I believed. I was satisfied with what I was doing. And this woman comes into my life and starts showing me scripture and messes me up. 
Well, what about this verse? I don't want to know. I don't care what the Bible says. Listen, what you just said. Well, I don't mean like that. What did you mean? I don't know. You're confusing me. But she appealed to something that she knew I had. And she was patient with me. Denise, you're so patient. Still are. You want to please God, Tim, right? Yeah. So what's God want you to do? If it's about, but, but you understand, if I do that, my mom and my dad will be mad. Well, see, now there you are. Is it about pleasing people or is it about pleasing God? Because if you please God, it's not always going to work out, folks, the way you want it to. But it will work out the way God wants it to, and that's what you want. I remember sitting there going, oh, it's about pleasing God. Okay, you're going to get into ministry. What's it about? Pleasing God. So I get in ministry, and quickly, all these other motives are waiting for me. Well, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you can be cool enough, people will like you. If you can be funny enough, people will laugh and they'll like you. If you can, if, if, I'll tell you what, Tim, you, build, you really work hard and build a, a youth ministry, and people will think you're something else. 1985, I move here. Robert and I start working together. We're going to build a church, awesome church. Why? Because that's, you know, it's, that's what we're going to do. But I found my motives being challenged. It's nobody's fault, mine. It's my fault. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I, if, if, if the church is growing, then the critics will shut up? I got news for you. They'll keep talking. Well, if I, if, if I have a, if we, we'll build this cool dome and people will go, wow, what a cool place. That's not a good motive. And we talked about this, what, planting a church. What's the motive? Well, we, we made a commitment years ago to plant that other church, so we're going to do it because we made that commitment. That's, that, that's not a bad motive, but is that it? And I have been wrestling with my motives now wrestling with them I want the best motive I don't want to have a cool church so everybody thinks oh this is a cool place it's back to, I don't know if it's a cool place anymore in some ways but I don't care but, but Tim you want people to talk talk up you know the church and everything because it's a reflection of you whoa 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 where did this happen what, what's happening here Every church growth book, every seminar, they're all about, you can bring more people, you can do this, do this, do this. Yeah, oh, we've got to have more people. And why? So we'll have more people. And, and, why will, and what will that bring? Well, that will make us look successful. Just being honest with you this morning on this, all right? I am dealing with motive. Because you, you can be the best at what you're doing, and if your motive isn't where it ought to be, God is not going to bless it. You might get some success every once in a while and maybe give people the impression, yeah, look, they're really doing something. But I'm telling you, God will call you out. What's the motive? What is the motive? Joseph, what's your motive? Well, you know, I can prove, I can prove my brother's wrong and I'll stick it to him when I get the chance. Put me in a cistern, will you? Sell me as a slave. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to work, 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 work. You know, bitterness and anger will only work so long. And Joseph finally had to go, you know what? My brothers did not put me in prison. 
Now, in fact, didn't he say something like this? Guys, what you thought you did to me for harm actually turned out for good. What did he learn? That it's really the, the, the best motive to have is not about pleasing people, pleasing yourself, but pleasing God. That's how you know. That's how you know that dream is from God. It's not about pleasing yourself. Because I'm going to tell you something. Fulfilling God's dream in your life is sometimes going to make you miserable. The other thing is, I notice that what, 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 uh, how do I know if it's a dream from God is nothing can stop it. Look at all the setbacks Joseph faced. All the different setbacks, and that didn't stop a thing. He kept forging ahead. And see, because he keeps, and by the way, you, you get a setback, you don't, you know, well, that's, I guess I'll give up. Well, guess what? It must not have been a dream from God. It must not have been a plan from God. It must have been your plan. Because when your expectations aren't met, guess what? You, you ditch that plan, guess what? That wasn't God's plan. So you're going to have setbacks. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to get fired. You're going to, you're going to have uh, emotional, major emotional and spiritual adjustments. I'll say it that way, along the way. Like God, like a chiropractor. Let me adjust your back. Snap! Let me adjust that attitude. I think you broke me in half. No, you're better. I don't feel better. You won't right now. When I get done with you, Tim, you'll be in great shape. And because Joseph keeps trusting God and keeps working, doors of opportunity come his way. You know, you have this, uh, there's a part of the story where Joseph is now speaking to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh says, this is my dream. This is what's happened. Can you figure it out? And he goes, well, I can't, but God can. And he tells him the meaning of the dream and says, you know, you, and here's, here's how Joseph, he's smart. He sees the opportunity. You probably ought to get somebody to help you with that. Somebody that's pretty sharp. And here's, what, here's the response from Pharaoh. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his, and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? What makes you stand out at work? I'll tell you what, will your relationship with God be the thing that stands out? Will people go, this guy's competence comes from, this gal's competence comes from God himself. Wow. He stood out. He's obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Notice he says, clearly stands out. It's obvious. It's clear. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. And then it goes on, and he names him. He gives him a nickname. He gives him an Egyptian name. Zephanath Panea. Zephanath Panea. What's that mean? That Egyptian name means God speaks and lives in you. What's your nickname at work? Let's just sit on that a minute. I know a guy we used to call Next Day Dave. And that's because every job, every day, he would push to the next day. Always one or two jobs he'd push to the next day. And it would bottleneck everything. Next Day Dave. What's your nickname? 
Is your nickname a positive one? What's your nickname? I want you to know God wants your nickname to be something that says to people, you speak and act and live like God wants. Let me ask you a question as we finish this first point. (laughs) Where do I need to believe God? Ask yourself that. Where do I need to believe in God? Did God put me in this job for a reason? And the answer is yes. Yes. What do you need to believe there? What faith do you need to bring to the workplace there? What, where do I need to step out on faith? Because Jesus promised that according to your faith it will be done. So where do I need to step out? Where do I need to put legs on this idea, this plan? And where do I need to take some initiative? Where do I need to make the most of what I've got? Because Joseph made the most in that cistern, made the most in that house, made the most in that prison, and then he's in a palace. Am I going to have to be pushed at work by some supervisor or boss when I already know what I'm supposed to be doing? Or will I show some initiative and not to have to be pushed by somebody because I'm led by God? Well, you'll, you'll get way out front of everybody if you just follow God. That's number one, initiative. Number two, likability. You want to get ahead? <laughs> Are you likable? Would people say you're a likable person? Now you may think that sounds worldly, but that's not at all. The Bible calls that favor. The Bible says Jesus had the favor. He grew as he grew. He had the favor of God and of men. Uh, one translation says he was liked by people. Hmm. I'm just wondering, if I act like Jesus, will I be more likable? No, because they killed Jesus. Well, not everybody. Sure, you're not going. Not everybody's going to like you, but the right people will. The right people will. Look at this in, in Genesis 39 here. So Joseph lived in the home of Potiphar, his Egyptian owner. Soon, circle soon. There's a reason I want you to see that. That's the word that jumps out at me. Soon, Potiphar realized that the Lord was helping Joseph to be successful in whatever he did. Potiphar liked Joseph. Circle that. Potiphar liked, a boss liked his employee here. And made him his personal assistant, putting him in charge of his house and all of his property. The Lord makes Joseph likable, guys. And what happens? He becomes Potiphar's personal assistant. He, and it happens quickly. That's how quick. Let me tell you something. Likeability, when, when you bring your faith to work, it can change things quickly. It has a big impact. You say, well, Tim, I just like a building. I don't know if I buy that. Well, let's, just, let's state a couple of facts here. People have to like you if you're going to get hired and promoted. That's just the way it is, folks. I have a couple of attorney friends one time, and uh, I was using them to do a little little uh, disagreement I had with one of my employees over something and we had an ar- had a uh, by phone we had a, a judge from Chicago and my lawyer says Tim when the judge asks you a question say yes or no and I go yeah I got that no you don't got that 
Because you tend to go long. When somebody asks you the time, you tell them how the clock works. Yes or no. I got it. Say it. Yes or no. Now, you don't say both words. It's or, no. We got it? Yeah. Do, 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 do. Yeah, all well, that's a circuit clerk, blah, 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 the judge in Chicago, and I have you, Mr. So-and-so on the line, and, and Mr. Gill, are you there? And they go, yes. Uh, so-and-so, are you there? Yeah, judge, let me tell you what the problem is. Hold up, Mr. 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 I look over at one of my attorney friends, and he goes like this. He goes, He's hanging himself. Mr. Gale, did he work from this time to this time? Yes. Did you do this? No. Mr. So-and-so, I've heard enough. Okay, uh, Mr. Gale, you have nothing to worry about. Sorry, Mr. So-and-so, click. And as she's hanging up, I hear the guy go, well, wait a minute, just blah, blah, blah. And we get off the line. I go, that's not right. That's just something wrong with that. He goes, what's wrong with that, Tim? Well, the judge didn't even get to hear my side. He goes, he doesn't care. She doesn't care about your side. You make it sound like it's, it's rigged, like if you're liked. Likeability goes a long way. Tim, I lost a major case because I was being um, a part of the body, I can't say in public, to the judge. And because of that, I lost the case. That's the way it is. People, listen, folks, people, if you're not likable, they're not going to hire you. Soon, it says, soon, he realized the Lord was helping Joseph. He saw something in Joseph that stood out. His relationship with God. Does a relationship with God make you likable? For the most part. You're not going to make everybody happy. But Potiphar liked Joseph. He had favor. And the Bible promises that we'll gain favor from people when we're godly. And so he's likable. Let me tell you something else. People, if they don't like you, they're not going to trust you. That's a truth. Alan's like, is that right? I mean, I think it has a big... If they don't like you, they're going to... Even if you're trustworthy? Yeah. Well, the, uh, I thought, uh, thought uh, likability is a personality thing. It has nothing to do with personality. I know people have great personalities. They're not likable. I know people have lousy personalities. Or I say lousy. Let me take that back. They have a personality that's very quiet, withdrawn. And I love them. I like them. Because they don't talk to him? No, I don't know what it is. It has nothing to do with their personality. They're just likable. In fact, what makes them likable? Well, come on, Tim. Pin it down. Okay. I think the reason they're likable is because they display attitudes that are likable. You know, that's why they're likable. Because you're just, they display attitudes, an attractive and pleasant spirit about them. Oh, that, uh, they're people pleasers. No, I'm not talking about people pleasing. I'm saying please God. Just please God. And pleasing God means being kind. Isn't that pleasing to God? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, for crying out loud. Yeah, being kind and considerate. See, nobody's, nobody's attracted to uh, arrogant know-it-all. Nobody's, nobody's attracted to a grumpy, frumpy, complainy, whiny. Are you getting the picture here? 
Who wants to be around that? They may have that at home. They don't want to go to work and have it too. And, and let me tell you, no, no, nobody is interested in hiring somebody or, what do you think references are for? By the way, you use me as a reference, I tell the truth. I tell the truth. You're going to use my name? You're not going to make me go, oh, they're wonderful people. They're nothing wrong with them. They're psychotic. Oh, they're this wonderful. They carry a gun. You're going to get the truth. They're going to get the truth. Why do you think they have references? What What do you think they ask you? So what are they like at work? Are they nice to you? Are they considerate? We're thinking of doing this. What do you think? I remember one time I got a call. Uh, we're thinking about making this guy, he's, there's either going to be a night watchman or a guy that's going to watch the jail. Which one? Because I wouldn't give him that jail job. Why not? Because he doesn't like staying in what He likes to move. You don't want to mess with that. Click. That was the end of the conversation. Likeability. It has a lot to do with what happens to me. Look at this passage in Proverbs. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tab of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. There's a promise in the Bible. Here's the, here's the CEV of the contemporary English version of it up on the screen. Let's see that. Let love and loyalty always show like a necklace. What's that mean by why do you Ladies, why do, you, why do, why do we wear necklaces? They, they stand out, right? They're a favorite thing, maybe an heirloom, right? Somebody, they say something about us. I remember when I was in high school in the 70s, I had this great big medallion, big chain. I kid you not, had a bruise where it would hit me. And I walked like a farm. And it was a zodiac sign, all the zodiacs with a plant in the middle. And I remember going, oh, <laughs> by the end of the day, but I wanted to wear it. Stood out? Absolutely. So did the bruise. It stood out. But you know, and he's saying, wear it like a necklace. Let it be a garnishment that makes you stand out. What? Love and loyalty. Love and faithfulness. And then he says, like a post-it, write it on your brain, stick it on your brain. These two things. These are big qualities. They'll make you likable. Why? Because people will like you. When you're a person of love and loyalty, when you're understanding, when you're demanding, nobody wants to be around that. So let me ask you, are you likable? And if you want to be likable, let me say this to you. There's two things I've done that's helped me be a little more likable. One of them is I look at the people I like and try to figure out why do I like them? What is it, the quality they have? And I go, I want that. I want to imitate that. The other is, I just start liking people. Just like them back. I can't say I've always been that way. I've had, I've had people go, Tim, you just have that scowl on your face, and I've inherited this awful face. How come Clint Eastwood can look like that and get away with it, and they pay him millions of dollars? Me? I can't catch a break. But, that, but I've learned my eyes and my face, when I like somebody... I relax. And I'll tell you, if you want to be likable, just like people. I know some of us here can't stand people. You make that message clear. If you want to be likable, try that. Try liking people. 
Well, there's two points. How many more we got? Four? Well, let's just get through these now. The next one's competence. Competence. People hire you for what you can do? Absolutely. Another word for competence is capacity, capability, and skills. Now, competence is not something you're born with. I know a lot of people get this idea, well, you're just born competent. I just visited Gia uh, yesterday. You know, Rachel and Corey's new baby was born yesterday, eight, or two days ago, 8 pounds, 13 ounces. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not, you know, a lot of people say when you see a ba- ugly baby, you say something like precious. I'm going to tell you, this kid is gorgeous. Gorgeous baby. So sweet, so tiny, you know but incompetent. If I want to criticize her already, she's incompetent. You're not born competent. No, that's something you learn, you grow, you acquire over time. You, and that comes from this desire to grow, this desire to learn, this desire to listen to the critics. Yeah, you listen to them. It's healthy to do that. You take, go to classes, you read books. Why? You study to learn better. Listen, if, you, if you're going to work and you're not going to learn anything, you're not worth going there. You're not going to help anybody. But if you're always trying to improve yourself, and that's what Joseph is always doing. He's always honing, always working on his skills, and it made him even, even more competent. Look at this passage here. Do you see any truly competent, and notice I put in these two words because they also mean competent, Diligent and skilled workers. Do you see anybody? Guys, do you have anybody at work you notice? Man, they are skilled. They know what they're doing. They're hardworking. They stand out. He goes, you want to see? You see somebody like that? Guess what? Look what it says. They'll serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. And so, yes, competence is important. I've told you before I'd rather hire character than competence. Well, I'm not ignoring competence. i got a guy that got a great set of character, but he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm going to have to scratch my head a little bit and go, well, I need to teach him or something. It's, it's, it's valuable. And Joseph, he had this quality. He, he wasn't ready to take care of Egypt when he was at home at 17. No, but he grew, didn't he? He grew through all those moments, all those mistakes, all those setbacks. He learned, I'm not doing that again. From those successes, I'll do that again. And because of that, he becomes second in charge. The Lord was with Joseph, the Bible says here, and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. It's as he's working. And look at Potiphar notices. He noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. You see, Joseph's faith stood out at work as he served, as he worked. And your work, let's, I want you to know, your work speaks volumes about you. The quality of work, how you approach work. And Potiphar notices the source and secret of Joseph's success has something to do with his creator. With who he's been made in the image of. And again, I want to ask you, what makes you stand out at work? Are you diligent? Are you, does... Does a desire to learn more, is that something people know you for? You know, they, he may not know or she may not know, but she'll learn because she wants to be her best. And because of that, you know, because of that, because of Joseph's attitude about this and about working on his competence, working on his capacity, 
his capability and his skills. Look who gets blessed from this. Joseph naturally became quite a favorite with Potiphar. Soon he put Joseph in charge of his entire household and entrusted him with all the business dealings from the day Joseph was put in charge. Look at this. From the day Joseph was put in charge. From the day. Probably a Monday. The Lord began to bless Potiphar for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs began to run smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Why? Because Joseph had this desire to, to grow and improve and he benefited his boss. He benefited where he worked. He benefited his supervisor. Well, they're going to get credit. I think they're going to get, they're going to get happy. They're going to get satisfied. They're going to be so excited, get excited to have someone like you working for them that has this, this trait of I'm going to grow in my competence. Number four. Trait number four, dependability. We talked about this a little bit last week. Look what the Bible says here. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. In other words, it makes work very difficult when I'm unreliable. It makes everything harder. But what is reliability then? What does it mean to be dependable? It means earning the trust of others by keeping my word. We talked about this last week. I'll be there when I say I'm going to be there. I'm going to do that. And guys, nobody's perfect in this. Nobody's got a perfect 10 in this. I don't have a perfect 10 in this. I'm, sh- I'm sure none of us here are perfect in keeping our word. But you know what we ought to do the best we can to get as close as we can to that 10. Just be, be that kind of person that can be dependable, even if it hurts, even if it costs us extra hours, because it's got to be done right. We just want we want to leave it better than it was when we got there, and it's going to it's going to require some sacrifice at times, and that's okay. That's what dependable people do. Look what it says here. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, you hear that? With Joseph there, at this workplace, at this workspace, with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. Except what kind of food to eat. Greatest compliment your boss can give you is he leaves you alone because he knows with you there it's done. It's as good as done. That his greatest, his greatest decision that day is Applebee's or Wendy's. What a compliment. That he doesn't have to bird dog you and stay over you and keep calling and making sure you're on top of it. Let me tell you guys, when you're that way, when you're a dependable person, your boss doesn't have to worry. And that's, that's better than a paycheck. Number five, loyalty. I don't know what's happened. It seems that loyalty today has been lost in the workplace. Nobody's loyal to anything or anybody. Oh, maybe to themselves. We don't stick around. We hop from job to job to job to job. As soon as it, we don't like it, boom, we're going to find something else. I, oh, maybe we try to justify it this way. Well, you've got to remember, Tim, one of the seven dwarves was happy. That's the way work is. You're sounding kind of dopey when you talk that way, folks, okay? But I get it. We get it. We're in a workplace. You're in a workplace. Roommate, classmate, factory, wouldn't matter. Neighbor, you find this bus track on you where you've been thrown under the bus. I've always wanted to make a shirt with a tire tread and then write dates on it whenever I feel like I've been thrown under the bus. 
What I'm afraid is somebody might make the same shirt and put the dates that I've thrown under the bus and they'd have more dates. Okay, <laughs> you know, but it's that idea. It's, it, what is it about? It's like we have no loyalty anymore. Look what the Bible says here. If you care for your orchard, you'll enjoy its fruit. He said, if you stay focused and work, you'll enjoy its blessing. Now, look what else it says. It's a promise now. If you honor your boss, you'll be honored. Now, I want to make this clear as a boss. You know, I, I, there's no perfect boss. Your boss is a human being. He gets selfish. She gets stupid. Doesn't think sometimes. Sometimes you go, why did they make that person in charge? They do not know what they're doing. And you think you'd do a better job. You're convinced. Put me in there and it'll be better. Let me get, get let me tell you something. It might be better over here, but because you're imperfect, it's going to be messed up over there. It's just the, no boss is perfect. But I'll tell you something. And Joseph, look at all the bosses he had besides his dad and his brothers bossing him around. As low, the guy lowest on the totem pole, lowest rung on the ladder. You know, he, he gets, these Midianites are telling him what to do. It's believed they whipped Joseph. The Midianites were horrible to slaves. And Potiphar buys him, you know, and he gets thrown in prison. No boss is perfect. Why didn't he just say, Joseph, I know you're telling the truth. I know my wife's lying. No. No boss is perfect. Cupbearer forgets. He forgets for two years. I don't know about you, but you can become a very bitter person. But no, not Joseph. He he honors the bosses and the people of authority with loyalty. Now, what is loyalty? Loyalty loyalty is simply being faithful to my boss and God when I'm tested. And and folks, you know this is true. At work, you and I will be tested. We'll be tested to shade some figure. We'll be tested to cheat someone. We'll be tested to cover up something. We'll be tested to gossip about somebody. On and on. Whatever test it be. Where's God? Wait a minute. Where's your job testing you right now? Where's it testing you right now? Testing your integrity. Testing your dependability. Testing your your values. Look what the Bible says here. Now Joseph was a very handsome and well well built young man, so Potiphar's wife began to desire him and invited him to sleep with her, but Joseph refused. And look, why? Why would you refuse, man? Nobody's. There's one day where nobody is in the house. It's just her and him. I sent all the help away. Oh, Joseph, it's got to be your love for God. Look what he says. He told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. He trusts me. My boss trusts me with this. No one here has more authority than I do. I have more authority than you, girl. That's how much power and authority and decision-making authority I have. That's how much I'm in charge. He has held nothing, he's held, I'm sorry, he's held back nothing from me except you. He said, he's given me everything. Joseph, you, you got a date tonight? You, you want to borrow the chariot? Get the big one. We'll have heaves drive you around. Yeah, impress your girl. Oh, wait, you want a weekend off? Take it off with pay. 
You look like you could use some new clothes. You look like you could use some new equipment. What, what do you need, Joseph? Here's a check. Write whatever you think you need. Be reasonable, whatever you think. Generous. Holds nothing back. He says, the only thing my boss has held for me is you. And that's because you're his wife, for crying out loud. And then he says, and it would be a great sin against God. Why does the Bible do that? Oh, Joseph, you've got a character flaw here. It should be God. No, all this is saying is how loyal Joseph is to his supervisor, to the people he works with, to his boss. He's loyal to them. And his first thought, there's nothing wrong with this now, his first thought is not about his God, but about his boss. That's unheard of today. Think that's, do you think people are concerned about, oh, they're concerned about what the boss thinks because they might get fired. But they're, not, they're not watching his back. They gossip about him. And by the way, if you gossip about your boss with 30-some years' experience as a boss, I've got to tell you something without exception. Your boss is going to hear what you said because there's always a snitch. There's always a snitch. I had some stuff said. Uh, I've got a guy that just left, and uh, one of the other guys said, You know what he said? Yeah, what, what, no, what did he say? Little, 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 little. And I'm going, That secret wasn't out but about 30 minutes. You have an opportunity to cut your boss up. I would suggest you don't do that. Joseph wouldn't do that. He couldn't hear of it. That's, that sounds, Tim, that sounds like you're following people. Folks, that's what God wants. And number six is integrity. Now, we've already talked about integrity. Last week we talked about integrity. If you haven't got to hear that lesson, you can get online and listen to it. What do you mean by integrity, Tim? I'm not a phony. I'm real. What is integrity? Integrity is who I'll be in public that I am in private. Who I am in public is who I am in private. It's who I am when I'm all alone with God. When no one else is looking, I'm that way all the time. There's no difference between... Listen. There's no difference between my public values and my private morals. They're the same. How many times, guys, have you heard of a celebrity? I'll just say a name. You tell me if it's a Bill Cosby. That's all I got to say. Public life sold lots of Jello. What a show! And what do we find privately about Bill Cosby? How many public figures have you known? Well, we had an Olympic swimmer get in trouble. Got home before he could get caught. And I hear the Olympic committee say, well, they're just being boys. Move on. No big deal. This is integrity, folks. Integrity. And it's a challenge to be like this because you're, be, you're going to be what you are here at work. And that takes guts. It takes faith. Look what it says here. She kept pressing him day after day. Nevertheless, he didn't listen to her. He refused to sleep with her or even be with her. He guarded his integrity with boundaries. 
He said, I'm not, man, I'm not even going to give the devil a foothold. You are going to be tested at work, church. Tomorrow morning, you're going to be tested in some way at work. And I want to encourage you to pass the test with integrity. It says here in Proverbs 11, the Lord detests people with crooked hearts. But look what the Bible says. He delights in those with integrity. The Lord loves it when you're a person. You say, but Tim, if I, if I was truly honest, it's going to get me in trouble. Yeah, but you can hold your head up. I could get fired, but you can hold your head up. Because you know what you did was right. And God delights in that and will bless you with a better job than you had. How do you know that, Tim? Well, let's see. Potiphar's house? Ooh, that got sideways. Prison? Ugh. Palace? Wow. How'd that happen? Integrity. Just choosing to live a life of integrity. I want to ask you a simple question. Will you, will you stand out like this tomorrow? When you go to work, would you do it? Would you have the courage to do that this morning, make that decision? Look what the Bible says as we close. This is the last verse. I love this little verse. Stumbled across it. Put God in charge of your work that what you've planned will take place. And maybe that's what the decision this series is really about. Just letting God be the boss. Just putting God in charge of my work. Say, Lord, I want to please you. I want to satisfy your desires. I want to be what you want me to be at work. You're my true boss. Yes, I get a paycheck from somebody. And yes, this guy or this woman has authority in my life. But Lord, I'm gonna, I want you to know, I see past them and I see who's really in charge here. And I'm going to dedicate whatever I do, whether it's, home, it's working at home or working at a school or working in a hospital or working in a, in a, a burger place, it doesn't, wherever, a factory, an auto mechanic, whatever it be. God, you've got my A game and you're going to get my best. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when you do that. You're going to stand out. And people are going to go, they're not going to look at you and go, wow. They're going to look at God and go, wow. It's actually going to influence the world. So what's this final question on your, here's, here's the question I've got on your notes. I made a little room for it. I'm just asking, what kind of commitment are you going to make today? Finish this sentence if you could. I'm making a commitment today to show up for work tomorrow. What's going to happen Monday morning? That's up to you. There's a card in your bulletin. If you want some extra praying done for your work week, you might say, Tim, you don't know what it's like where I work. I need lots of prayer. Yeah, and, and your co-worker at another church is saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, 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 it's the pits. It's hard. You know, can I say instead of looking for another job so quickly, why not look to the Lord to help you where you are? Maybe you do need to find another job, but you definitely need to find these traits in your heart. So, pray, you know, pray. pray. Let's pray. We'll pray together. We're going to sing a song. Uh, after we pray here, give you time to fill out a card, and then we're going to take up those cards along with our regular contribution. And I want to tell you, if you're a guest here, you don't have to give to this church. We'd ask you as a member, but not as a guest. If you want to give something, that's up to you. We'll use it. We need it. But we just want you to know we're not, we're not, uh, you're not here so we can get something out of you. We want you to. We hope we give something to you to think about that will change your life. 
we, here at Greater Alton, we are interested in building a bridge to a better life. We, by the way, church, we are still interested in building a bridge to a better life. Am I right? We're still about that. And so, God bless you. God bless you. Enjoy your afternoon. Beautiful fall day. Early. And enjoy Monday morning. Look forward to going to work. God be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the life of Joseph, Lord. And I thank you for the patience in this crowd to put up with uh, a lot of stuff here to cover. Father, I pray, we pray that you'll help us have the kind of faith that trusts you, that just trusts you, and that, that this faith will show itself in ways like, in, like having initiative, Father, like, like becoming a dependable person. Father, I pray you, you, you know, whatever it is that's keeping us from being likable. You know, Father, uh, and we know we can't please everybody. We're not really at that. But we know, Father, sometimes we can be, and I say this, Father, you know, I'm, we can be butts at work. We can just be so hard and um, ungodly at work. Would you help us, Father? Help us display the kind of attitudes and attributes that people would, it would refresh the workplace, Father, and that they see it's not from our own decision or our willpower, but it's from you and your power. Father, help us learn more. Increase our competence. You know, your, your, your Bible says, Paul said that his competence came from you. So, Father, we, we come to you and say, give us, give us, train us, teach us, help us be more competent, hone our skills, give us opportunity to build on our skills. Father, we pray for some of us here, we're just not very loyal to people around us. And, Father, we pray for a loyalty that just is rock solid, that won't cave. And, Father, that will, when tested, Father, will pass the test with integrity. Father, we put you in charge of our work. You're in charge of my work. Tomorrow, Father, I am going to be two installers short. Only two of us are going to be working on the field. And Father, it's going to be crazy all week because Corey's taking the week off for this baby. And Chris, is, is, you know, his last day was Friday. Father, I just pray you help me. I pray for people to pray for me to help me be a Christian man with this work week coming up. Father, I want to preach Sunday. And I, Father, I pray you, you bring me to a lesson, to some points, to some thoughts that will help us take our faith to the workplace on Sunday. You're in charge, Father. We put you in charge. And we pray your plans for us will take place. Father, I think about sick people right now. I think about Stephanie. I think about Debbie. And Father, I know there's others. You know, Rachel's recovering from, from a C-section. Father, I pray you just take care of the men and women. Willie is dealing with his cancer. You know, just the, the ailments and the, the... I just think of Faye's knee. I just think of different people. That, um, you know, Andy's having some issues, some physical stuff going on. Corey's got some kind of... Um, 
parasite or something he's had for a couple of years, three years now, almost three years. Father, I just pray you take care of, of Gia. Father, please give her keep her healthy, keep her safe. But Father, I just pray for those of us. I, there's the, I know there's people here that are sick, that have people that are sick, that are dealing with disease. Father, would you just work in their bodies, give them relief, give them some healing, and um, give them peace of mind. Most of all, peace of mind. Thank you again, Father. Thank you for today. We just love, just love you. We pray this all, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.